Welcome to the Foresight Church Podcast. Enjoy this week's sermon. For more information about us, go to foresightchurch.co.za. Good morning. Thank you. Lovely to see you today. So this morning I'm going to share something that's going to give you handles to fight back. 1 Samuel chapter 13, we're going to read from verse 5. And while you go there, page with your other hand to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So the first scripture I'm going to read is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Our main text is going to come from 1 Samuel. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the weapons we fight with. Verse 4, you got it? Got that? If you got it, say amen. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, in fact, diametrically opposite. The weapons we fight with are the opposite of the world. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. Divine means God's power. They have the power of God to demolish strongholds. These are the weapons we fight with. They demolish strongholds by the power of God. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We do this. God doesn't do this for us. We fight. We take captive. We set the prisoner free by the power of God. He doesn't do it on our behalf. Jesus has saved the world by his blood that was shed on the cross. It is done, but is the world saved? No, it's not. There's certain things we need to appropriate, even though they are a reality in the spirit. Every single person has been paid for by the blood of Jesus, but they're not saved. We need to preach to them, correct? Now, even though the devil has been defeated by Jesus on the cross, we'll read about that just now, we need to extend the boundaries of the kingdom and push back against the kingdom of darkness. Correct. Has it been done? Yes. Who appropriates that? We do. Good. Let's read 1 Samuel chapter 13. And that is in the Old Testament. And I love the Old Testament stories, not because they are factual history, but because they are relevant to us, because the Word tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for correcting, teaching, and reproving that the man of God, which is me and you, may be thoroughly equipped, equipped for every good work. So this scripture is going to equip you to fight the battle. Is that cool? We're going to read 1 Samuel 13 from verse 5. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. The Bible doesn't give an exact number, but I think that's a lot. 
They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth Avon. When the men of Israel saw their situation was critical and that their army was hard pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Cistern is a water, water container, water, a water vessel. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So what happened? First of all, all the Hebrews, all the Jewish guys, they decided, we're out of here. They're in rocks, they're in holes, they're in caves, they're in cisterns, they're in thickets, they're in bushes, they're hiding. Some of them went across to Gad and Gilead, that's the territory of the Philistines, and if we read on further, some of them actually even joined the Philistine army. They thought, let's go defect so that at least we might live. The Bible says they realized that they were outnumbered and surrounded and their situation was critical. Would anybody disagree with that? Nobody's disagreeing. That is a problem. And so everybody begins to scatter. Now, we know the story. Saul takes the authority, oversteps. He's not running in his lane as king anymore. He now decides to take on the role of prophet and priest and whatever. He's desperate. So he starts operating out of his gifting and his calling and his skill. He moves over to the, the calling of Samuel. And he gets into trouble. So he offers sacrifices to God. Samuel pitches up. He says, hey, buddy, you've overstepped. And because you've overstepped into the realm of what God has called other people to do, you're in trouble. Uh, God has not called us to be a jack of all trades. Do you know that? God has called us to operate in a gifting and a calling and a skill and a talent and a workplace and an environment and a family and to operate well inside of that in your calling as father, mother, child, whatever it is, under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but God has called you to be yourself. Don't covet somebody else's gifting. God has not called you to be someone else. He's called you to be the best you you can be. And that's the only authority legitimately that you can walk in. Your testimony is your own and it is powerful to the breaking down of strongholds in somebody else's life because it's yours. The most amazing thing is testimony. They overcame him, Satan, in Revelation 12 by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and their fearlessness. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Fearlessness, courage, right? The blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. What does that mean? You know, if somebody, I, I, I'm an intellectual, I love debating, I love talking to people, I love researching stuff, I, I love thinking, right? But if I go to a thinking person and I tell them that my very good thoughts, they're going to tell me their very good thoughts. Some people don't think, which always amazes me, and other people come with really well-constructed thoughts, and my thoughts and their thoughts clash. But the only authority I have is not my clever mind. Paul says, I come to you not with clever words that convince, but with a demonstration of power in the Holy Spirit, so that your faith might not be in my clever words, but in God and His power. So how does that work? 
Well, I'll tell you this. There are many instances, many testimonies, but generally what I would do is I'd tell people my testimony about what God has done for me. Last night I was on the phone to a guy and he says, well, he doesn't believe that miracles happen in our day. And I said, well, I'm a miracle. I should have been dead many years ago. I had systemic lupus. It was a death sentence. Doctor said, go home, prepare your stuff. My wife was with me. You've got four years to live. 13 years later, I was given a clean bill of health. You've never had systemic lupus. There's no evidence in your body that you have it or have ever had it. And, and that was a testimony for me to the surgeon or to the specialist to say, actually, he says, well, let me phone your GP. Let me phone the other specialist. So he does that while we're sitting there. No, it's a misdiagnosis. No, whatever. No, it's not. The evidence is there that I was sick. The evidence is there that I am healed by your own diagnosis. Do you trust your own diagnosis? Anyway, that's my testimony. Now, my testimony, when I tell a sick person that you don't have to be sick, it's not a, not a death sentence. It is, a, it is an opportunity for God to work. It creates faith in them because they can't come with a clever argument and say, there's nothing to say. There's nothing to say. How do you refute what God has done? You can't. You can't refute what God has done. But he can true, but it's my testimony. He could say, medically, it's impossible. That is a fact, but truth always trumps fact. Every time. God's truth is above the fact. The fact is Jesus was crucified. The truth is God raised him from the dead, and he has triumph and victory over death. So, let's carry on reading. So, next, skip with me to verse 15. Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah in Benjamin, and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. 600 men left with Saul, the new king, age 30, of Israel, Defending against 3,000 chariots and 6,000 charioteers and numerous people like the sand on the seashore. Now this you need to have a look. Number, verse 19. Now the, just when you think the situation couldn't get worse, it, it does. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. Verse 22, so on the day of battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Okay, so our mighty army of 600 men have got two swords. One is with a king and one is with a king's son. Who knows? It's not a good situation. They are defending themselves like the Shrek movie with spears and, not spears, they don't have spears, sickles and pitchforks and garden implements. The worst that's going to happen is someone's going to get a haircut with the pruning shears. Well, what do you do? How do you defend yourself with a pruning hook and a, and a garden fork and a shovel and two spears? Two swords. Let's read verse, uh, chapter 14. Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash. 
One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Parents, there are certain things your kids are not going to tell you. Ever. Kids, you should tell your parents everything. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Magron. With them were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was a priest. He was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitab, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outposts was a cliff. One was called Bozes, which means slippery, and the other was called Sene, which means thorns, okay? So now Jonathan is going up to the Philistine outpost. He is in a mountain pass. There are cliffs on either side. Him and his trusty servant are on the way to the Philistine outpost with one sword. They are hemmed in by a a cliff called Slippery and one called Prickly. (laughs) They're in a tough spot, okay? One cliff stood to the north towards Mechmash, the other to the south towards Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, okay, wait, hold on, this guy's not a big man, he's a young guy. He's a young armor bearer. And, And listen, kids, listen to me. You're never too young to be used by God. Never. Come, let's go over to the outpost outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do you want to underline that? Maybe highlight that. We don't know if God's going to help us. But nothing stops Him. Nothing stops God from working through two people. He says, nothing, I love this man's faith. We're going to do something. And we trust that God's going to be with us because we're not too little. Five loaves and two fish is not too little to feed a multitude. It's a good start. Two people is not enough to win a battle, but two people plus God is a majority. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Which is the Hebrew translation of, you pay my salary, I'm coming. (laughs) Jonathan said, come then. We will cross over toward the men and let them see us. That's not good military tactics. Camouflage, right? No, no. What did these guys do? We're going to go out boldly into the open. We want them to see our multitude coming. If they say to us, wait there until we come down to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, you must remember, they've got slippery and they've got 
quickly, and so they've got to go up either a slippery slope, I don't know where exactly the Philistine camp was, or they've got to go up prickly slope, but they've got work. He said, if they say, come up to us, we will climb up, because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. This majority that is like the sand of the seashore. <laughs> so both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outposts. Hello, we're here. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outposts shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. This is comical. It's hysterical. These two guys are like, hey boys, we're picking a fight. And if they say, come to us, then we know God is going to kick butt. And if they say, we come into you, we tuck tail and run. But if they say, come to us, we know that the Lord has given them into our hands with one sword. So both of them showed themselves. Okay, so we did that, okay. So Jonathan and his armor bearer climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. He's on all fours, Oaks, going up a slippery slope. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. So what did he do? He knocked him over. And, the, and the, so now the armor bearer's got the sword. He's on hands and feet like a dog. He's bowling over these guys. I want somebody to make a movie of this. And his armor bearer is following and he's killing him with a sword. Do you get that? In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and the raiding parties and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Saul's lookouts at Gibeah in Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, 600, muster the forces and see who has left us. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not there. Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God. At that time, it was with the Israelites. While Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. In other words, let's not inquire of God. We know what God's doing. Let's go let's then Saul and his men, all his men assembled and went to battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp, those are the defective guys, went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. And when all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So the Lord rescued Israel that day 
and the battle was moved on beyond Beth-Avon. I don't care what hopeless situation you are staring in the face. One plus God equals a majority. You may be staring down the barrel of guns of the multitudes. You may be hung out to dry with one sword left. But the good thing about when your back is against the wall, there is nowhere else to go than forward. Even a mouse becomes a lion when cornered. I want to say to you, friends, with God on your side, you can jump over a wall, David said. You can defeat an army. With God on your side, you are invincible. As long as you're moving forward. While you are in your camp, nothing is going to happen. While you are cowering in fear, nothing is going to happen. Make a decision and back yourself and go with it. And maybe the Lord will come through. Because if he does, there's a massive victory to be won. And you will have a phenomenal testimony. I'm amazed at a few things in people. I'm amazed that they think this creator of the universe who created this body from an egg and a sperm cell and brought it to be that he is not strong enough to heal a sickness in this body that he created from scratch. How's that for logic? I'm created, I mean, I'm, I'm amazed that people will trust in their own little bit of money in their hand and not entrust it to God because they'll say dumb things like, I can't afford to tithe. You can't afford not to tithe. I'm amazed at people who come up with excuses upon excuses. I can't bring my kids to church because they're playing sport on a Sunday. My friends, statistically, 0.01% of all kids will grow up to be professional sportsmen. But 100% of kids that don't go to church on Sunday will grow up not serving God. How's your maths? Rocket scientist? And we put ourselves into stupid position. We put ourselves there. And we wondered sometimes, well, we wonder why we are surrounded by multitudes of problems. Because we created them. What are you giving God as an opportunity to step forward with faith and entrust to God? Is it one sword? What can God use? Well, he uses faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because number one, God blesses because he's good. What does it say? It's impossible to please God because you need to believe that God exists, number one. That's pretty simple. And number two, that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So faith is this. We believe that God is there and we believe that he's going to come to our rescue. He's going to reward you if you use faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. In other words, 
Without faith, you carry the displeasure of God on your life. If he's pleased by faith, he's displeased by doubt. And then we wonder why the favor of God is not on us. You see, faith is this, not in what we have, but in what he has. That's faith. It's not trusting in your ability. It's trusting in his ability. I promise you, Jonathan was convinced in his heart that he could not do this on his own. But he stepped out knowing that two people is not a majority against multitudes. They did what they could. They stepped out in faith and they took out 20 guys between the two of them. That's times 10. Two times 10. Each guy effectively took out 10. Now the word tells us that one of us will put a thousand to flight and two of us tens of thousands. Why? Because are they afraid of two? No, they're not afraid of two. Are they afraid of one? They're not afraid of one. But they're afraid of the lion roaring behind us. There was a panic sent by God. There was confusion in their ranks because God did something that two people could not do. He turned the enemy against himself and a resounding victory happened that day. One courageous man and one sword between two guys. I love a few things in this passage that we're going to highlight. Point number one, with God... One is a majority. We forget that the battle belongs to the Lord. We forget that. Psalm 139 verse 5 says this, You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. This is David writing. He says, You have enclosed me behind me and before me and laid your hand on me. I wonder if he wasn't calling to mind and meditating on that scripture, that, that, that inspired word of God that had come to him, that he wrote down himself. I'm wondering if he wasn't operating in the revelation of that, Lord, you have enclosed me from behind and before you go before me, your hand is on me, when he was taking out Goliath. You see, because when David stood up to Goliath, three chapters onwards, this man saw was knit to him, heart and soul, and said, this is a man who can be my friend. I want to stick. I want to run with courageous guys. They, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. You are defined by your friends. Let me tell you, show me your friends. I'll prophesy your future. If you're hanging around with people that are going somewhere, guess what? You're going in the same direction because they're moving. If you're hanging around with people who are going nowhere, guess what? You're going to go nowhere because people who are going nowhere are not inspirational. And they'll find every reason why you shouldn't be inspirational. They will suck the life out of you. Bad friends, I promise you, are faith suckers. And every good idea, every God idea you've got, they will drain the life out of you. Have you ever been with people and you get to them and you're all pumped up and when you get away from them, they have sucked you dry? Sometimes I want to go home after I've been with people and take a bath to get the yak off me. And not because of sin and not because of anything other than they're just so flippin' negative. 
It's like my batteries come back flat and I want to climb in bed and fast and pray for a week. Point number two. In a hopeless situation, before I go there, listen to Psalm 32 verse 7. This is an important scripture. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Could you imagine? Could you imagine God hems us in from before and be after. He's with us, right? His hand is on us. And then, he surrounds me with songs of deliverance. Who's singing? I don't know, but we've got surround sound coming from heaven where God sings deliverance over us. Hear that scripture, guys. The Holy Spirit is ministering to you all the time. All the time. And the Holy Spirit is singing songs over you. You know, the Word of God tells us as well that God dances around us with singing. He's surrounding us. He's over us. The Holy Spirit is rejoicing over your victory that's to come. He is not mourning with you about your loss. He is not uh, um, aiding and abetting you in your misery. He is rejoicing over you and praising God in spite of your circumstances. He's with you. He's hemming you in the front. He's hemming you in the back. And he's having a party. It's time for us to get with the program. Start moving with the melody of heaven and start jiving and jamming with the lamb because he's got something that he knows something we don't. Number two. In a hopeless situation... Friends, take the fight to the enemy. A few weeks ago, we had Teresa with the full armor of God. And kids, you were there, right? You learned about the armor of God. Now you must help me. Kids, are you awake? Kids, children, you awake? What is the thing you put on your head? What do you call that? Helmets of what? Salvation. What does the helmets of salvation do? Protect your brain. I love it. 100%. What is it? It protects your brain. Salvation protects your brain. It's the helmet of salvation. When you are facing an enemy, and it doesn't matter what you got on, you need to know that you are saved. We're going into this protected mind that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Live or die, whatever battle I'm facing, I'm going to heaven, I win. I win. Keep that helmet on your head. Keep your thinking protected. And then what else, guys? There's a, what, 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 what do we have? Breastplate of righteousness. We got, what's this? Shield. Shield of what? Shout it out. Shield of what? Faith. All right. What do we got? I got shoes on. What are my shoes? The gospel of peace. Yeah, man. Gospel of peace. We kick the devil backwards with the gospel of peace. Is that right? Every time we preach the gospel, he, we, we send the demons running. Good. We kick their butts. Okay. What's, what's the sword? Sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Now, what did, what did Jonathan and his armor bearer have? They have one thing. They had a sword. That's all they had. They had a sword. If you want to kind of translate that metaphorically into the New Testament, if that translates to anything in the armor of God, 
They were equipped technically only with the Word of God. Jesus fought Satan with the Word of God. He said to him, it is written. You need to know the Word. And when you can come to the devil and he is beating you up, Inside of your helmet of salvation, you know, you can be beaten to death inside of your armor. The devil can roll you down a slippery slope, throw you into the thicket, and you can't get up because your armor is so heavy and you're stuck, and he can kick you to death in your armor. Except for two things something to fight back with, which is the word of God. And the other thing is phone a friend. Who's protecting your back? I'm glad. Man, I tell you, this is, this, is, this is something that you can bank. He didn't go it alone. He took a Mikey with him. He took a Mikey who was with him heart and soul. And so not only was Jonathan joined to David later in Scripture, but he was also joined to his armor bearer. These guys had a heart and a soul, a will and a mind and an emotion that were knitted together. And they said, we're going to do this thing together. If we die, we die together, but we're not going to die at home alone with the enemy knocking at our door. We're taking the fight to him. You can never fight. You can never win a defensive battle. So the rules of chess. The best form of defense is attack. That's a rule. In a hopeless situation, point number two, take the fight to the enemy. Do something. Do something. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Guy phones me up. He says to me, I'm unemployed. I don't know what to do. I'm unemployed. I said, well, you know, what's, what's out there? He says, I've put in CVs everywhere. Have you planted a vegetable garden? No. Do something, Oak. Just do something. You're waiting for somebody to phone you back. Just get out there, man. Do something. I don't know what. But you know, you, you, could, you, could, you could start by selling Cokes at a robot. That sounds stupid. It sound, but it's going to, you know, it's bicky, bicky, mock buyer. Start somewhere. Start doing something. All right. Number three. And this is important, Oaks. If you're going to make a, a major life decision, ask for confirmation. You need a sign. If you're going to risk your life on something and risk your family on something and risk everything you are and everything you have. You know, people want to say, I want to emigrate, okay? We want to emigrate, okay? Good, good thing, wonderful. Australia, because it's more peaceful there. Uh, whatever. Or, but do you want to take your kids? And put them into the enemy's camp in an atheistic country where Christianity is virtually a crime. Or Canada, where you say something to offend a homosexual and get three years prison for hurting someone's flippant feelings. So very strongly about that. You want to put your kids there, in the mouth of the lion, for economic reasons. Is your faith in governments or your faith in God? South Africa is the most Christian country in the world. 
You can honestly, you can walk to a church somewhere and hear the word of God somewhere pretty much any day of the week. And you want to put your kids in a school where the name of Jesus may not be spoken. And you want to go to a boss and you want to work in a scenario. I was talking to somebody the other day. In their company, they cannot say the name of Jesus, but the Muslim can talk about Muhammad and Allah as much as he wants to. Any, people can talk about whatever they want to, except the name of Jesus. You want to go there. Are you out of your mind? Why would you do that to your family? Now, I understand there are real reasons as well. I get that. But I'm saying you might be trading a little bit of hardship for a big, big war. You need to know that's the word of God. If you do not have a scripture or a prophetic word, and I'll tell you something, have many. If you, if you want to marry somebody, get the counsel of other people and get a confirmation from the Lord that that is your husband or that is your wife. Ask for confirmation. So what did they do? Lord, give us a sign. If these boys say, we're coming down to you, well, we're going to tuck tail and run, and then you better, Lord, please give us superpower to get away. But then the other one is, Lord, if they call us, they've called trouble on themselves. And then, Lord, rain all hell on their heads. Because if you've called us, we will go. Now, if you want to reposition yourself, and God has legitimately called you to go and be a blessing in another nation, then you go with the mindset of war and not the mindset of settling. Because if you settle among the Philistines, you become like the Philistines. You go, taking your shield, taking your sword, kick butt and take names because the Lord has given you that victory. And do we need Bible-believing, New Testament, spirit-filled believers in other nations? You better bet you do. But if you're going for your comfort, you will get eaten alive. But if you're going to add to the kingdom of God, you're going to add power, you're going to add authority, you're going to push the kingdom of darkness backwards, God be with you. Point number four, verse 15. Act decisively. You know, whatever is not decisive becomes divisive. That's in church. If we as an eldership need to take a call on something, we better do it, do it now. Be decisive about it. Man up. Wear your big boy pants. Take authority and do it. If you're talking about starting a business and talking about starting a business, you're not starting a business. Start a business. Be decisive, man. God can only bless forward motion. He only blesses faith. We've heard that. Now, I've said to people before, you've heard me say this loud and proud from the pulpit. Listen to this. God cannot work with a parked car. God doesn't steer anything in a parked car. You need to, you want to be, oh, Lord, lead me. He's not going to get you out of your chair. You get yourself out of your chair. You get a good idea, and God can channel that. God works with faith. Start moving, and God will start blessing. He'll start leading you. Okay? Number five, have a friend. Please. Accountability is important. The word says confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. 
All right? The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. James 5. Well, what do we need? We need to confess our sins to one another that we can be healed, and that guy needs to pray over me that I may be restored. Is that right? Because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Have good friends around you. Point number six. Courage attacks, attracts. Courage attracts God's attention. Courage attracts God's attention. Friends, I want to help you here. Courage is not the absence of fear. People say to be courageous and to be brave, there's got to be no fear. No, that's mental illness. That's not courage. When you have no fear, you're probably a psychopath. Unable to understand results. Unable to understand cause and effect. And I promise you now, if everybody was always fearless, there would be no men on this planet because they do stupid things. Our whole species would have come to extinction. Because fearless men, like absolutely fearless men, are very, very dangerous to themselves. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is saying, in spite of the fear, I am going to face the fear, and I'm going to give it carrots. I don't care what the outcome is, but I am not going to die a coward and a wuss. Do you know in Revelation 21, the first category of people that are thrown in the lake of fire is all cowards. Did you know that? That flies in the face of what most of us have been taught. To be a a man of God, you've got to be a limp-wristed, weak-willed, spineless, go-nowhere person. You're coming to Jesus because he's a crutch. What a bunch of rubbish. God throws first all cowards into the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. How's that for a wake-up call? Courage attracts God's attention. Number seven, when you operate in the general will of God, he provides the specifics. In other words, God had spoken general prophetic words over the nation of Israel. Is that correct? God had spoken general prophetic words over Saul. The king. So, so, so the son of Saul knew what, what highway he was on. He knew that God is the preserver of Israel and that this thing can go sideways, but it's not going backwards. Because actually, we've got prophetic promises to walk in. Think about some prophetic promises here. Think about them quickly. General words of encouragement. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Is that a general prophetic word? It is. Everybody can take that. It means no matter what you try, God is with you in it. Even if you're in the dungeon, God is with you in it. Some of the prophetic promises we read this morning. He is behind you. He is before you. And his hand is on top of you. You are protected. That's a general prophetic word. In other words, you don't have to worry and fear because the Lord is protecting you. He's got you. And if anything happens to you, fight back. Is that okay? Why? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. That's another prophetic promise. The general will of God. When we operate in the general will of God courageously, he starts operating with his specific will in our lives. 
And he starts giving us courage in a specific situation. Take faith, man. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. I know right now, all of you want to run through walls. Why? Because you're hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. The word of God comes alive inside of us. The Holy Spirit says, yes, 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 and amen to every word that the Holy Spirit is speaking through me. He's speaking in you. And my spirit testifies with God's spirit that we're children of God. So as the Holy Spirit is talking to you through these words, the Holy Spirit inside of you is saying, yes, party time. Okay. Number eight, don't wait to be crushed. Do something. Do something. Don't just stand by and let the devil walk over you. Don't be a victim. We are victors and overcomers in Christ. Colossians 2.15. I want to close off with this. We started with the New Testament scripture. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of, the world, of this world. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. Right? Divine power to demolish strongholds. We take captive every thought and bring it to the obedience of Christ. That's what we do. We've got God-given, Holy Spirit-empowered, God-authority weapons. One of them is the Word of God. Another one is praise. Another one is prayer, especially praying in the Spirit. You know, when you learn about the armor of God, Ephesians 6.18 says, after the armor of God, it says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. We leave that out. The armor of God carry straight on to verse 18 and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Okay, we've got those. All right, Colossians 2, 15, do you have it? Jesus, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them by the cross. He disarmed and defeated the devil. He has disarmed the powers and authorities, friends, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Satan and his demons have been disarmed. They do not have power and authority over a believer, except for lies and fear. Did you know that? That's the only thing they can do to you. And what is fear? Fear is a lie, isn't it? False evidence appearing real. Little acronym for you. But he has triumphed over them by the cross. He has triumphed over them by the cross. So what does that mean? It means we're the only guys on this planet with weapons. That's what it means. Is the devil real? You better believe it. Did the Philistines come back and oppress the Israelites again? You better believe it. Today, they're still oppressing the Israelites. They're called Hezbollah and Hamas today. That's what they're called. It's the Philistines. Palestine, Philistine. Does it make sense? That's who they are. And they weren't dealt with decisively. Every time the Jews gave the devil a break, they did not wipe him out as God had said. Now, not all Palestinians are evil. Please let me tell you, there are more churches in Palestine today than they are in Israel. I don't know if you know that. Israel is hostile to the gospel. Palestine is open to the gospel. Did you know that? I don't know if you knew that. But, 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 but there's, there's a, an element, a criminal element today in Palestine and a, a, a Muslim fanatic element that is shooting missiles 
every single day almost into Israel because they didn't deal with him decisively. But having said that, friends, be decisive. Take action. Well, we're going to do something different now. Can I have the worship team up here for us? With what you know today, we're going to practice some of the stuff we've learned. Philippians chapter 2 says, The name of Jesus, God has given Jesus, exalted him to the highest place, and given him the name above every other name. The name of Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every single knee will bow. In heaven, that's the angels, on earth, that's us, and below the earth, that's the demonic principalities and powers. Every single knee will bow. And every tongue will confess, even the demons, that Jesus Christ is Lord. How do they they respond? What do they respond to? That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. You might be under oppression right now. And friends, I'll tell you something. The battle, you win battles, and there's an ongoing war. The devil comes back. Even to Jesus, when Jesus defeated him in the desert... The devil left him for an opportune time, which means that Satan came back to torment him. If Satan came back to torment you, even in the things that you've overcome in the past, he's coming back in the future to press on your weaknesses again, to remind you of your past. My friends, when Satan comes to remind you of your past, you tell him his future. We've read the end of the book, and he burns in hell for eternity. Tell him what's coming. Tell him what's coming. We're going to stand. And right now, we're going to proclaim. Now, you, this might be weird to you, okay? This might be something you've never done, but it doesn't matter. There's a first time for everything. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to picture in your mind the faces of the multitudes of charioteers, chariots, the, that's the mechanisms of the devil, and the many, many, many obstacles you've got, the, the countless, countless, like the sand of the seashores, issues you have right now. I'm pretty sure you can see them. Maybe you can see your bank balance in red. Maybe you can see your family in red. Maybe you can see like warning lights flickering all over your job, or all over your industry, all over whatever. Maybe, maybe... It's, it's, maybe it's your, your marriage. Maybe you can see warning lights there. Maybe it's warning lights over the sin in your life. Friends, and let me tell you something. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not people we fight. We're not fighting with people. We're fighting for people. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the authorities and powers and the principalities and the rulers of wickedness in high places, Scripture tells us. But it tells us that those same principalities, the spirit of mammon that controls your money, the kingdom of Babylon that controls the systems of this world, and the politics. Those are controlled by demonic forces and entities. And this morning, I want us to use the word of the spirit of God, the sword of the spirit, the word. We're going to appropriate Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to use that scripture that says at the name of Jesus, every single knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and below the earth. 
We're going to take the sword of the Spirit right now, and we're going to proclaim the name of Jesus over every single instance of oppression in your life. And at the shout of three, we're going to declare, we're going to shout, all the wrath of heaven over Satan and his demons that are afflicting you. One, two, three, Jesus! Let's do that again. Over marriages. One, two, three. Jesus! Let's do that over our country. One, two, three. Jesus! Let's do that over mammon, the spirit of wickedness working in your wallet. One, two, three, Jesus! All right, over the spirit of depression. One, two, three, Jesus! Over fear and anxiety. One, two, three, Jesus! Now stand in your victory and stand in your authority. You stand in the name of Jesus and stop being a coward in Jesus' name. Father, we receive your spirit. We thank you for the power and the authority of heaven in us through the name of Jesus. And every knee shall bow at the name of Jesus. Amen. Have a seat.